today's sermon text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And we, we, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is God's word. I had the privilege of uh, or came across a, a slideshow on the Internet, and it was detailing some extravagant uh, mansions. I mean, elaborate and extraordinary mansions. But this slideshow was unique. Um, it was depicting these mansions that were left um, to neglect. They were, they were neglected. And it was kind of fascinating to see uh, the deterioration of these, of these once uh, fascinating and extravagant architectural structures where weeds had grown in and the cracks had started to form in the building and, and what's one, what once was, was beautiful was, was now dilapidated and and under disrepair. These, these mansions had been neglected. Whether it is in schoolwork, relationships, a house, car, a job, if you fail to care for things, neglect begins to show. If you don't cut the lawn, weeds grow. If you don't do the dishes, take out the trash, wash the clothes, you might start to have some little friends start moving in. If you are not communicating, encouraging, appreciating the other party in a relationship, in a relationship distance begins to form, and that relationship is soon lost. It succumbs to neglect. To neglect something is to not care. It's to let it go, to ignore, to, to simply let things be as they are. Our text this morning has to do with caring, caring specifically for one another. Paul, in continuing with this rapid-fire exhortation that we, exhortations that we see at the end of 1 Thessalonians, essentially says, brothers and sisters, I want you to care for one another. The one another passages in the scriptures just can't be ignored. There, there are 59 references to how we are to treat one another in the Bible. What Holy Spirit is communicating to us is that we have a responsibility towards one another. We are linked, connected, joined together. The church is not like a family. The, the church is a family. It is a family, and so we are called to act as a family, a family who cares for one another. Here's Here's the deal, brothers and sisters, if we do not heed Paul's exhortations here, his instructions here, we are essentially saying we don't care about one another. And it will be no time before neglect sets in. And what was once a 
thriving and growing family will become a dysfunctional family family because we we neglected to care for one another once again paul does not leave us guessing he's so he's 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 wonderful like this and, and that he encourages he tells us how we ought to do these things that he calls us He clearly lays out some specific responsibilities for how brothers and sisters ought to care for one another. And he brings to our attention three types of individuals that he believes are within the Thessalonian congregation. But what should be of note to us is that these categories are not just limited to the church at Thessalonica. I think we can easily say that most of the people that we will talk about, that we will see in our text, are in all congregations. These categories that Paul mentions, these people that are in Thessalonica and in this congregation and other congregations around the world, are the idle, the weak, and the discouraged. Paul starts with the idol, with the idol, and he says, admonish the idol. Now, we made mention of this before when we were talking through or preaching through uh, 1 Thessalonians, but it is clear that um, Paul was addressing issues that were going on in the Thessalonian church. There were some members there who were, who were considered idle or, or busybodies men and women who were stirring up strife and who are just not with the program. Some, some translations render these individuals as unruly. In other words, everyone is going right and they just insist on going left. They're just not with the program. They're not in step with the rest of the congregation. They are busybodies and meddlers because the reason this is the case is because they have failed to make good use of their time. They're idle. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Brothers and sisters, the the idol here in this congregation, the idol in Thessalonica, the idols in in all congregations are not heeding this this verse. To be idle is to walk contrary to your calling. It is to be counted among the unwise rather than the wise. These men and women, Paul says, need to be warned. They need, to be, they need to be challenged to turn from cast, causing trouble and to get busy attending to the things of the Lord. He warns them to get in line. That's right. They, they are not simply to get busy doing any old thing. Paul's point is that they would be admonished to walk a life pleasing to God. Pleasing to God, pursuing righteousness. Killing sin, growing in wisdom and an understanding, serving the body, praying, 
Again, Paul uses this phrase that, that, we, 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 that he loves to use, that they are to be admonished to, to walk a life uh, pleasing and uh, walk in accordance with the, the life that they have been called to. Brothers and sisters, idleness is dangerous. When you are idle, in that moment, you are exposed to the wiles and the schemes of the devil. And if not attentive, he will pounce on you and try to destroy you. He will have you taking up your free time, getting involved in useless debates and stirring up controversy. The idle, busybody. Do you see why warning the idle shows that you care? If your brother or sister were walking and, and you saw impending danger ahead of them, wouldn't you want to warn them? Wouldn't you do everything in your power to keep them from heading in that direction? If you didn't do that, what would that say about you? What would that communicate? It would communicate, it would actually scream that you did not care about them. We admonish because we care that our brothers and sisters are not taken over by the evil one. And so when there are those who are stirring up strife among us, when there are those who are idle and they seem to be getting into things that they shouldn't be getting into, Paul says, admonish them, warn them. Live according to the life you have been called to. But Paul doesn't just address the idle. He next turns his attention to the discouraged. And he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Brothers and sisters, discouragement is no respecter of persons. In a fallen world full of, full of brokenness, full of sin, full of sadness, discouragement runs rampant. I am not naive to think that there are some in here this morning who are fighting discouragement. You know, not just fighting it, but in fact have been overcome by discouragement. Perhaps you received bad news this week that, that just turned your world upside down and you're just Maybe you've been fighting a sin and you thought you had it beat, but this week it crept back in and, and you're, just, you're just discouraged because you feel like you're never going to get rid of that sin. Perhaps, perhaps your, your, your marriage has hit a, another rough spot. Perhaps your grades aren't what they are supposed to be. Perhaps... The, the things aren't going so well on the job. Brothers and sisters, discouragement, it is real. And no one is immune to it. Paul understands this. That's why he says, brothers and sisters, encourage those among you who are faint-hearted. Listen. 
This is why, this is why your presence in the community on Sunday, Wednesday, or whenever the church gathers is so important. In the body of believers, you have two types of people. Those who need to be encouraged and those who can encourage. So everyone, everyone should be coming. When we, when we gather together, everyone should be coming expectant. Expecting. If you need encouraging, if you need encouragement, you need to be coming into the fellowship expecting to be encouraged by your brothers and sisters. You shouldn't have to go anywhere else to be encouraged. On the other hand, if you are not discouraged, you need to be coming into the fellowship of the saints, expecting to encourage someone. You should be on, that that should be your mission. You, You should be seeking and looking out when you come into the gathered congregation, who can I encourage today? Who can I, who can I show that I, that I care for them by encouraging them? Oh, no one should leave the gathered, gathering of the saints not having heard an encouraging word. Oh, and if you are not sure how to encourage them, the Bible gives us a plethora of ways to do so. In our time throughout Thessalonians, we have covered a few of these ways already. Remember, we talked about praying for people and how encouraging that is, that that when you are going through something, when you are struggling to, to hear that somebody, one of your brothers and sisters, is actually taking the time to pray for you, that is encouraging because they are beseeching the one who has the ability to do something about your situation. So, it's encouraging to pray. We also talked about in Thessalonians how we ought to encourage one another by reminding each other that Jesus is coming back, that he's coming back again to, to take his bride home, and we will be with our husband and our Savior for eternity. That is an encouraging word. There are other ways in which we can encourage the faint-hearted. Did you know that you can encourage the faint-hearted with your voice. With your voice. Most every church liturgy uh, or order of service includes a time of singing together. This time of corporate worship and song is a response to God in Christ uh, for all that Christ has done for us. We sing our praises to him thank him, and sometimes lament him through song. Many times, we think our singing is our offering to God, and it it is only for him. But our singing also has horizontal benefits. We sing to one another. We encourage one another with our voices in song. Colossians 3 and 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns 
and psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Our vo- we encourage one another with our voices. Brothers and sisters, I'm not telling you something that I have not experienced. I have been to places that, that, that don't sing, where people just don't sing. And, and it is not encouraging. It, it's actually discouraging. Don't you know what the Lord has done for you? Don't you want to lift up your voices and praise him? Then I've been in the midst of congregations where I've come in discouraged, downtrodden, And then we begin to lift our voices and sing, great is thy faithfulness, or how how great is our God, or or Jesus at the center of it all. And my heart is welled up with encouragement. Brothers and sisters, we sing to one another. We encourage one another with our voices. So, oh, lift up your your voice when you come and and sing. Right, Alan? You want them to sing, right? You want people to sing. Sing out loud. (laughs) Sing with joy and passion because you know that it encourages your brothers and sisters who are around you. Oh, lift up your voice and encourage the faint-hearted. But you can also encourage the faint-hearted by your presence. And we've talked about this. We've talked about this already, but um, I, I think it is worthy of overemphasis Your presence among the saints matters. Sometimes it's just encouraging to see people's faces. I know that's how it was for us when we first started. I mean, there was just a few of us, and then when people would show up, oh, wow, there are actually people coming. (laughs) You know, it was encouraging. This, though, people showing up is particularly encouraging. It's particularly true when you know that for that person, to be present, it wasn't easy. Life is dealing them body blows, and the road to get in the door was full of potholes and barriers and difficulties. But come 10.30, come 11 o'clock, there they are, strolling through the door, coming to the gathered saints to praise the Lord in spite of all that has been discouraging and difficult throughout the week. Brothers and sisters, that is encouraging. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, you, can't, you cannot do that if you are not showing up to the gathered congregation. You cannot encourage your brothers and sisters at home by yourself. You and I encourage the faint-hearted by being present. And there are several other ways to do it, but the last way we will look at how we, and encourage, we can encourage the faint-hearted we, we encourage them by helping them to consider Jesus. You know, sometimes, as God would have it, the faint-hearted are encouraged by the congregational singing. Others, it is seeing the saints, just being amongst the saints. They see people smiling and rejoicing, and they, 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 they're just encouraged. Then there are those who, who need extra care. They, they need one-on-one time, 
And in that one-on-one time, you encourage them by helping them to consider Jesus. Listen to the writer to the Hebrews again in chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such a hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You encourage the faint-hearted by helping them to consider the one, helping them to consider the one who died for sinners so that they would not be discouraged. Listen, the reason why we get discouraged is because we lose hope. We are discouraged because we think the bad word we heard is the last word. We get discouraged because we think nobody cares. We get discouraged because we think it is never going to get any better. But brothers and sisters, when we are around those folks, when we are around people who we see downtrodden and, 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 and in despair, when we, when we see people like the psalmist talked about in Psalm 6 who, who drench their, their pillow at night because of their tears, We are to go to those people and whether we have to scream it, whether we have to whisper it, whether we have to text it to them, whatever we have to do, we need to tell them, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. He died for you. He cares for you. In him there is hope. Jesus has the final word and he is making all things New, consider Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do not ever, as Christians, we should never, ever say that we don't know how to encourage people. That we don't know how to encourage other believers in Christ. Consider Jesus. (laughs) If you don't know what else to say when somebody needs encouragement, tell them to consider Jesus. Go to the Word, find Jesus, and consider him. (laughs) Oh, brothers and sisters, you will be encouraged. We are to encourage the faint-hearted. Paul has told us how we are to deal with the idol. He's told us how we are to deal with the faint-hearted, but he gets to the final group and addresses them and says, That we are to help the weak. Help the weak. Only the fittest survive. That is what Darwin says. Those who can't fend for themselves get stepped on, dominated, and eventually discarded. This is not so in the kingdom of God. The weak are to be helped. And in fact, brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are strong have an obligation to help the weak. God expects you to do so. That is what Romans 15 and 1 says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We are to care for the weak. Oh, there was a a wonderful illustration uh, going out on the internet. It came out several years ago. And uh, when I saw it, I said, oh, man, that is a beautiful sermon illustration. And as the Lord would have it, it happens. I can use it this morning. So praise God. 
But it's the video of uh, nature, and, and there is a, a, a herd of buffalo, and they, they are drinking at a riverside. And they notice that a, that a pack of lions is watching them and waiting to pounce. And the herd of, of water buffalo begin to, to move away from the lions. Well, there's one weak little water buffalo who can't make it with the pack. And the lions pounce on that weak water buffalo. And as you notice, as you're, as you're watching this unfold, you're, you're, you're saying this, this, this water buffalo is not going to make it. The herd has left him. But after several minutes there, that little water buffalo sh- struggling to, to fend off this pack of lions that is about to devour them, all of a sudden, here come the herd of water buffalo. And they're coming, they're coming back to, to rescue the, the weak one, the one who was not able to get out of the clutches of the, the lion. And do you know those, that herd of water buffalo scared off all those lions and saved that weak little water buffalo. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is how the community of the saints work. That's how the kingdom of God works. We are to care for the weak among us who who are under the grips of the, the lines of the evil one. We are to care for them, help them in their time of need. Oh, and if we can't help them by ourselves, go get the pack and bring them back. And we, but we're, gonna, we're not going to leave the weak. We're going to help the weak because we're called to do so. And we help, we help the weak in, in a couple of ways. We help them with their physical needs. We, we help them with their spiritual needs. The physical needs. This is utterly contrary to Darwin's thought. Those who cannot fend for themselves are thought of as less than and not to be helped. But in the kingdom of God, in the church, we are to help the physically weak. Isaiah 1, 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Help those who are struggling to help themselves. Galatians to bear, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's how we help each other. That's how we help the, those who have physical needs. We bear their burdens. But it's also, it's not just physical, spiritual needs. There exists within every congregation men and women who are weak in their faith. They're struggling in their knowledge of the Bible, and they are in need of someone to come alongside them. They need help. They need to know, how do I walk this, this journey? How do, how, how, do I, how do I get by? How do I, how do I get from point A to point B? I need help. The goal with these brothers and sisters is not to make them feel inferior because of their spiritual weakness, but to actually help them grow, to seek to build them up, to walk alongside them. Romans 14 and verses 1 and 2 is a clear, clear example of this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. 
And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Listen, we don't help our weaker brother or sister in Christ by forcing our freedom on them. This is what Paul is saying here. We don't force our freedom on the weaker brother. We help them by not binding their conscience, by helping them to honor Christ. And not our rules and our regulations or even our freedoms. What a privilege to help a brother or sister who needs help spiritually. God did not save you so that you could be, could only be about yourself. It is it is so that you could look to the needs of and the interests of others ahead of yourself. That's, you help the weak. You help those who need help. See, brothers and sisters, this is how we are to care for one another. To see these type of people in our midst, the, the, the idle, the, the discouraged, the faint-hearted, the, the weak, and to not do anything about it is to neglect the body. But we also must resist the urge to ignore them. But there is another urge we must resist, and that is to grow impatient with these individuals. <laughs> to grow impatient with them. Paul says, be patient with them all. Why does he say that? Because to care about the people I mentioned in the ways I mentioned is not easy. Oh, I, I know I listed off these things like they were no big deal, but the fact remains, caring about the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak is hard. It will indeed test your patience. Believe me, I know. It'll test your patience. You will think you are a patient person, but then you will realize, wow, Lord, I am not patient. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore we need to be long-suffering. We need to walk with them. We need to care for one another. You know what, what, it, what it reveals when we grow impatient with people? It reveals that we don't trust God's timetable. Patience says, I trust God with my brother or sister's soul. I trust his wisdom and plan for their sanctification. What I'm going to do, I'm just going to point them to Jesus. That's, that's what patience says. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to trust the, entrust them to the Lord because he does the works. These are the way in which we care for one another. The question is, well, why do we care for one another? Well, yes, I've, I've said it. We care for, for one another because we're family. And that's what family does. We, we care for one another. But there is a deeper underlying reason for our care. There, there is something that motivates us when it is difficult to care. There, there, is a, there, is a, there is a narrative running through that is the catalyst for our care for one another. We care for one another because Jesus cared. 
That's why we care for one another. It's because Jesus cares. First Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he might exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Christ cares about the discouraged. And, 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 and he cares for them by encouraging them. Romans 15 and 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God encourages his people through his scriptures. He has given us his word so that we might be encouraged by it. He cares for the weak. For while we were still weak in the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He cared for us that while we were weak, while we could not help ourselves, while there was nothing that we could do, we couldn't pull up our boots by our own bootstraps, we, we needed help because we were weak. And Christ cared for us by dying for us. Jesus, Jesus cares about us. We care for one another. For in doing that, we are imitating Christ. That's what we're doing. We're imitating Christ. But Paul helps us further to follow in the footsteps of our Lord with a catch-all verse in, in verse 15. He catches it all. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul is clear here. Don't retaliate. Don't seek to exact revenge. Don't take matters into your own hands. It is amazing how quickly our desire to repay evil for evil kicks in when we have been wronged. I can't tell them. I can't let them walk all over me like that. If I let them get away with it, they will take full advantage of me. I must repay evil for evil. Let's, let's listen to the example of our, of our older brother. 1 Peter 2.23 When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is what Jesus did. If anyone had the right to repay evil for evil, it was Jesus, but he didn't. It says that he, when he was reviled, he did not revile. When, when, he was, when he was sinned against, he did not sin back. But he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When we entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly, we can do good to one another and to everyone. Because in the midst of me being good to all, if I am wronged or taken advantage of because of that goodness, I trust the judge who judges justly. And you know what that judge declares? Here's what he declares in Romans 12, verse 19 through 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, 
but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, brothers and sisters, don't repay evil for evil. You just worry about doing good to everyone. Do good to everyone. That's, 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 that's the call. That's, that's our example. We have a responsibility to one another. Can't neglect the idle. Cannot dis- not, not encourage the discouraged. We, we must help the weak. We are to imitate our Lord Jesus in showing patience and being good to all. Because that's how Christ treated me. That's how he treated us. And in him we have an example. 1 Timothy 1.16 But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In Christ, we have our example. The the, the name of, this, of our sermon series through the book of 1 Thessalonians is the imitation of Christ. When you and I care for one another, we are imitating our Lord. We are imitating how he has loved and how he has cared for us. So as family, we have a responsibility to not neglect each other, but to care for one another. Admonishing the idle, encouraging those who are discouraged, and helping the weak, being patient and loving and showing good to all. May may Christ help us. May he be our example. May he be our catalyst to love each other well. And may what God has begun here not be neglected so that it looks like those mansions that were once Beautiful architectural designs, now overtaken by weeds and overgrown, windows broken. May that never be, never be said of East Point Church, because we cared for one another. Let's pray.